You know what it is. That is our theme song. This is our podcast. Numbers on the boards. The moratorium could keep us down, but only for about a week. (laughs) We are back. My name is Bobby Corella. Basketball season is kind of officially upon us. The, The new league year has begun. And today, as always, I'm joined by the least popular man on the internet. What happened? He is Jeff Skin Wade. How Skin, did this happen? Your response, man. You have been taking some heat. I've been taking some heat, but you know what? I'll wear that heat. Now, I won't wear a heat jersey, yeah. especially not a D. Wade jersey. Yeah. But I, and even though my last name's Wade, but I'll wear the heat. Um, but hopefully, through the course of this podcast, we can kind of sort through those emotions. Uh, Twitter is the least rational place on the planet Earth outside of like a Senate hearing. And uh, and so there's a lot of emotions that boiled up. And, you know, Bobby, I'm a, I grew up playing sports, so I'm a competitive person. So if someone challenges or bows up to me, my natural reaction is it's go time, right? Oh, yeah. I want to compete. I want to go at it. And so I found myself engaging in arguments. And I'm looking at this going, why am I behaving like this? So you get sucked in. I get it. Uh, we're going to uh, clean the slate and talk as rational as we can about the future of the Mavs and see if we can put uh, the, the boiled over emotions and, and, and kind of quell those. A we're going to have a good time, man. We're going to have a good time. And I will say Twitter is terrible, but all the people from Twitter that we met whenever free agency started at Petty Colas, they were great. And then this weekend, there's going to be another one going down at uh, the Maverick Bar. What is that? Friday, oh, the, the Maverick 19th Bar. at 6.30 p.m.? Yes. I think is the and, day. Uh, so. I believe that's uh, officially a Carrollton location or yeah. maybe a colony location. It's right Louisville, there right off on the board, 121 yeah. in, the, in the northern burbs. Uh, there's lots of Twitter activity about that if you'd like to be a part of that meet and greet. Yeah, and you can come talk S right to Skin's face. You know what's How funny about, about all this, though, is I have never had anybody come up and challenge me in person. Uh, it's always been on Twitter. And then even people that have challenged me on Twitter in person, it's very cordial. I think it's just the nature of that platform to get all worked up and grab your spear. And ah. it's fun to go at it, man. It is it's, fun it's to go fun at to it. Argue. But people, uh, and I say people, Matt fans specifically have always been incredibly respectful in person. And I appreciate that whether they agree or disagree or hate me or whatever it's always been very cordial in person i think that's a good thing that is a great thing that is a great thing. let's keep it that way too yes. it's all at the end of the day this is literally entertainment it is just for fun uh there's but obviously it's life and death entertainment well, bob yeah it is very clearly it is life and death uh so we're gonna get it all literally all into free agency from maps perspective from the nba perspective we're gonna talk about it all this is gonna be a seven hour podcast so bear down uh buckle up get something to eat uh but first, Skin. Yes. All Mavs podcasts, whether it's this one or whether it's your other favorite ones like Senior Old Boys, The Four Pointer, uh, or The Ceiling is the Roof, which is, might be my personal favorite That's a good outside one. of this one. That's it's a, a great, good one. It's a great one. Yeah. Ceiling is the Roof is great. Uh, they're all on the Himalaya app. Himalaya is the official podcast sponsor of the Dallas Mavericks. Free, easy to download, easy to use. Uh, you can get it on wherever you find your apps, whether that's iTunes, if you're a Apple person. If you're an Apple I guess person. there's an Apple store, not really on iTunes. Or uh, the Google Play store if you're a good, a, a good person like me and have a Samsung. Uh, you can <laughs> download Himalaya. They will personally curate uh, podcast lists for you from shows that you are not currently subscribed to. Great way to discover new programs. It's what you need in this world. Absolutely. You More need podcasts. some guidance. Yeah, absolutely. Because, dude, there are 5,000 podcasts. Like, if you weren't following 
the Mavs or us on mm-hmm. Twitter, it would be it could be very difficult to find this podcast, right? Unless you were specifically searching for Skin Wade, mm-hmm. you know, which so, nobody does that. Well, everybody does that. So that's how this to podcast is number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to make fun of you. But uh, but yeah, so uh, Himalaya is great, man. Download it and starting, I believe, next month, but maybe this month. Don't misquote me on that. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Maybe next month. Maybe this month, some exclusive content featuring a Mavs player. Ooh. Not just any Mavs player, the Mavs player. Ooh. Uh, the guy that wears number 77. Ooh. The best number in the NBA. It's great. Yeah, so go ahead and download it. Follow the Mavs. Follow this podcast. Uh, yeah. Follow your podcast, too, yes. by the way. Hey, uh, I've seen that on Twitter. Yeah, so we talked about this a couple podcasts back. I finally got it up, up and going. It's called Radios and Tunnels which is a line from an old Jizza song off Liquid Swords. And it's the idea is to do long-form, you know, in-depth, critically, uh, you know, critical analysis-type conversations about things that matter in the world of sports and entertainment, whether it's talking about films or music. Uh, the first one I did it was with Dallas Cowboy Justin Durant about locker room culture and how people from different backgrounds come together specifically in the time of crisis. We talked about what he dealt with in 2017 when there was so much vitriol going towards the NFL and and that whole issue. And and Justin's a really reasonable, smart, intelligent guy. So it was a fun conversation. And then I followed that up with one that just dropped today with Paul Schalda who is a great musician. Him and his dad and his brothers did a doo-wop record oh, nice. on Daptone Records, home of Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings and some of this great old soul music. And he's got his own stuff called Paul and the Tall Trees, which is kind of rock and funk and soul and, and folk. It's a cool hybrid. But it's like an hour-long conversation on musical influences and do making music with your dad and all this That's stuff. Cool. So I got stuff coming up with Baxter Holmes, the great ESPN writer, nice. who dropped an incredible piece today on how injuries are happening with young players because of the way the AAU system unfolds. But he does these incredible in-depth articles. So I'm excited about it. I love doing this stuff. It's music, it's film, it's sports. And so radios and tunnels, if you have time to check that out. Subscribe to that on Himalaya. Why not? Yeah. Why or wherever you? you listen to your podcast. Yes. But especially Absolutely Himalaya. Absolutely Himalaya. Okay. Especially Himalaya. Yeah. All right. That is enough housekeeping for me. Uh, I do love the news. I love announcements, but I also love Mavs basketball more Word than any up. of that. Word up. Okay. Mavs free agency skin. Yep. It happened. I will say, okay, free agency happened very fast this year. Man. So we're going to talk about the most important guy first. That's Chris Apps Porzingis. He signed his contract, I want to say, on like the 8th or the 9th, mm-hmm. and that was like the th- 115th transaction of the summer like it was over fast so uh even though it's only what july 15th july 16th today, 17th i think yeah free agency is basically done it's, it's like we're talking about it in past tense already it's crazy yeah. and and the guys there's some you know talented veterans that are left but uh it's going to be a lot of teams waiting to see what happens with their rosters i mean everyone's sort of dialed in on what their team is so the day before free agency, I was at a, a social situation. I had a lot of NBA people there. And there was this kind of thought that, man, you know, this might be a slow burn because everyone's going to wait to see how the KD domino falls and the Kyrie domino and the Kawhi domino. Those dominoes happened so fast, and there was really only one left, and it was Kawhi. And then that happened in 
almost literally the middle of the night. Yeah. A week later, I was I had an early tea time Saturday. I'm putting my phone down. I was like, man, I got to get some sleep. And then my phone explodes and starts levitating above my <laughs> bedside table. I was like, what is happening? And then suddenly I'm up till two in the morning tweeting. Yeah. Because the Kawhi bomb was just incredible. But you're right. Initial rush, a huge explosion. And then a chill period for a week, and then the Kawhi Domino fell, and now everything fell into place. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, so, like, you think about how fast free agency happens now, and people are like, well, 20 years ago it was much slower. But even five years ago it was much slower. Right. So if you have those, like, time hop things that will show you old posts from many years ago, uh, <laughs> the day that Chandler Parsons signed in a nightclub with Cuban was, like, after – all of free agency was already over wow. in this season's NBA. So, so also, it, it is happening so much faster. Do you remember, um, I don't remember the exact time period. Maybe you do because you're younger and have a fresher memory. Mm. But it seems to me that we waited on the Kevin Durant decision for five or six days. Yeah, he. I think he made his announcement on July 4th. Okay, so it was four days. But then in 2014, again, that was the same Chandler Parsons summer. Everybody was waiting on LeBron. Right. And LeBron made his decision on like the 8th or the 9th. Right. Could you imagine yeah. if, if KD and Kyrie and all these other big guns? I mean, Kawhi waited pretty long. But can you imagine if everybody waited that long? KD waited until before free agency actually happened and then told the Nets he was going there. And yeah. apparently they're like, oh, great. Yeah. yeah I was, mean, there depending. was no previous discussion right. at all. I can't believe how fast he made In up his fact, mind. KD wanted to release it on his own platform, and Woj detonated it before he could do it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, wow. Dude, it, I will it, say the big winner of this summer is Woj uh, promoting agents. <laughs> agents <laughs> were the big winner of free yeah, agency man. this year. Absolutely. Uh, shout out to Mark Bartlestein. He yeah. made more tweets. Than, okay. Uh, Chris Stapps <laughs> Porzingis. Yes. You might have heard of him. Seven foot three guy. They call him the unicorn. I think at this point he's kind of uh, become almost like an idea. I don't, I don't want to say an afterthought, but he was on the team technically heading into free agency. And so everybody assumed that re-signing him and giving him the max was already like a done deal, basically predetermined at the time when they traded for him. Can I, he's going to be here forever. Let me interrupt you. I'm saying that's the notion. Okay. Because I remember back in fe uh, late January a lot of, I don't know, vitriol about – why did they give up these assets? Yeah. He can just leave. And he's, what is this? And it's like, you know, I'm sure the Mavericks knew what they were doing. I'm very confident in that. But I don't ever recall there ever being a high-caliber rookie, which uh, or a high-caliber player on a rookie contract that didn't sign with his own team at least once. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, there's been like some. Gen Monroe. Generally, the guys that, yeah, change teams like Alan Crabb, players like yeah, that. Yeah, that but like no high-level yeah. guys are going to go, oh, I don't want this $158 million over five years. I'm going to let me play the market. That's I guess the most happened. recent example is D'Angelo Russell, who was signed and traded because they needed to clear space to get KD. Right. So it's like an extraordinary circumstance. But he did sign with his team. For the then, max. Yes. Yeah. So it just, it just doesn't – I understand wanting to get worked up kind of, but – at first, there was people freaking out, and then a month later, oh, well, that's done. And then when it did happen, everyone just sort of yawned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and if they would have waited, based on the way that the Knicks free agency went, as opposed to, like, you know, when you're comparing reality to expectation, they thought they were going to get Katie and Kyrie. When that didn't happen, they would have signed Porzingis. So yeah. Porzingis would not have hit free agency no. at all. You'd no. be sitting here with the same roster that they had before the trade. Right. In fact – depending on what we've heard about Porzingis' dissatisfaction with that organization, he might have actually been the first player 
to turn down a max contract and go into unrestricted Maybe. free agent. Who knows? Yeah. But he, my point being, he would have been the very first guy to ever do that in that position. Yeah, at that level. Yes. And had he stayed, maybe he was the guy that they would have traded to the Warriors for KD. Right. If KD chooses the Knicks. And right. then you, you got Steph with freaking Porzingis and Golden State. So yeah. I will take the bird in the hand uh, over two in the bush. Absolutely. But trading for Porzingis did not guarantee that you were going to re-sign Porzingis. So that, that is not like just something that you have to take for granted. That, right. is, that is something that they had to actually sit down and negotiate. And if you see, they gave him the option. There was mm -hmm. stuff about like injury insurance that mm -hmm. people were worried about. I remember when they made that trade, like an hour after the trade went down, he's going to take the qualifying offer and play one year. So this nah. is something that they had to like, they had to actually sit down at the table and talk about. Yeah. And it's very significant, uh, Bob, because you just mentioned the, the bird in the hand situation. You know, there's a lot of different ways to look at free agency and there specifically in regards to the Mavs and there's ways there's things to be disappointed about and things to be excited about. And a lot of it has to do with your own personal outlook and some of these kinds of things. But overall, once they inked Porzingis, you look at the last 13 months, and it has been an epic, epic job of rebuilding this franchise. Uh, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that you and I were big Dennis Smith Jr. fans, and we feel like he has a lot of untapped potential, and he was an asset I was very excited to have. But when you really step back, they turned Dennis Smith Jr., and some veterans and some future picks into two elite players under the age of 25. And now that we're spending all this time talking about dynamic duos in the NBA, just take every dynamic duo and throw them up there and look at the ages. And the Mavericks' future is way unwritten. It is amazingly bright. Yep. And this by no, we'll get into this in a little bit. This by no means like not getting another elite or all-star caliber player in free agency, that window hasn't closed. There's so much more ahead of this team. They have three guaranteed years with Porzingis and Luka together. Together. And at the end of that three years, Luka is restricted. Right, which they is have, what we just yeah. described. <laughs> yeah. That's so, never happened in the history of the NBA yeah. for a player on his rookie deal to walk away from max money. Unless he's traded or there's right. other, some, like, again, an extraordinary circumstance. Right. So we're looking at a future where in 2024 – Whenever we're sitting around here talking about Mavs free agency, we're probably going to be talking about Porzingis and Doncic yep. playing together. Yep. And by then, they'll have probably combined for several All-Star games and uh, maybe some All-NBA teams. Probably three championships, right? Am I at getting least, ahead of myself? At least. Okay. Now, maybe two, but we'll, yeah. I'll go with three right. for now. Uh, so, Porzingis. I think... Kind of the uh, sort of the afterthought because they only they signed him, they traded for him, so it's not even a big deal. But also, like I think people are forgetting just how good he is, mm -hmm. right? There was a lot of reaction. Why did they give him the max? All this stuff. Uh, it's because he's freaking awesome. He's a max so player. In 2017-18, he's 22 years old. He made the All Star team, and I, 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 it's tough to talk about his game translating to the Mavs because he's not going to be the player here that he was in New York. Not only because he's coming off a major knee injury, which I don't think personally is going to limit him all that much. I don't think it does uh, at all. There's been a lot of very good things that have been coming out of the Mavs about him, yes. really, since they got him. Um, I don't think that you're going to see a limited player physically. No. I think that they'll do the whole load management thing. I mean, Cuban's sure. already gone on record. But, but I think they're getting the same physical specimen 
if not even improved, because he's had a year and a half to build out his core. Yeah. He was a rail playing in New York. Yes. He was very skinny. You cannot be that skinny, be that height, be that athletic, and survive. Right. So he's built out his body. But I'm talking about specifically the player on the floor, his player profile, his archetype on offense. So his last season in New York, he shot 40% on threes, 39.5% on threes on five attempts per game which is awesome. Mm-hmm. That is very, very, very good. It's, it's not just good for a big guy. It's that's good great. for anybody. It's yeah. great 40% for anybody. on five attempts is like the gold standard. Yes. You're one of the best shooters in the league. Yes. But he's, he's going to shoot more threes here. Guaranteed. 43% of his total field goal attempts that season, where he's averaging 23 a game and making an all-star team, almost half of his shots came from between 10 feet and the three-point line. So that's the mid-range. Mm-hmm. That's where you don't want to shoot from. Mm-hmm. Almost half of his shots came from that range because they're playing the triangle. He's running off pin-downs into 19-footers. He's facing up at the elbow and taking, like, step-back 18-footers. His, sh- his shots were not very good. He was very good at making them. Mm-hmm. He shot above 40% from the mid-range, which is pretty solid. But... <laughs> Those are not the shots you want to take, yeah. right? And those are the shots that the Mavs are not taking. So we talk about, like, Bob Olgaris, Haralabob coming in and mm-hmm. modernizing the team. Well, the Mavericks have already been heading that way for a few years now. Right. Every year they're setting and then resetting the franchise record for three-point attempts in total and per game and yes. all of that stuff. And Rick has been a big proponent of that, and he constantly references what he what Reggie Miller did for him when he coached him in Indiana. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in the 2011 Mavs, remember, they were knocked as the jump-shooting team. Well, they, they shot threes all the way to a championship. Yes. So they kind of revolutionized the game. They sort of led to the, the Warriors. If we, we can talk about that later if you want. But uh, the Mavs last year, only six teams took fewer mid-range shots from them than them. Okay, okay. Yep. So these are like your Houston's, your Brooklyn's, like your science experiment teams mm-hmm. are the teams that are taking f- fewer mid-range shots in Dallas. That's and that's it. interesting because I think Houston took more mid-range shots last year than they did the year before. Possibly. And, yeah. and if I remember correctly, I believe Golden State's mid-range shots went way up. Way up. But one of the reasons that happens is because when you sell out to run a guy off of the three-point line – then that mid-range is just wide open. Yeah, and that's a lot of Clay Thompson. And so when we sit here and we talk about, you know, the types of shots you want to take, one thing that is a truism from, from basketball at any level, the type of shots you want to take are open shots. Yep. I mean, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. I was probably 11, and I'm in the driveway with my dad. My dad was a really good player, and I'm like, all right, Dad, what's a move I can do? I'm in triple threat, and what's something I can do to free myself up for a shot? And his response was, well, why wouldn't you pass it? Exactly. (laughs) And that stayed with me forever. It's like, hey, you don't have to go commando, bro. Pass the ball. Pass and move. You guys work it long enough, you'll get the caliber of shots that you want. And so part of Golden State increasing their number of passes and shooting with range is that you compromise defenses, and there's a domino effect that creates all kinds of open NBA players are very fast-skinned. But do you want to know what's faster than an NBA player? The basketball! The ball yes. is much faster. So if you pass it, you will get open. Everybody and line up on the baseline, and your coach goes, take off running. And then you sprint, and then when you get to about half court, he rears back and throws a baseball pass, and the ball sails over your head. Yeah. Point proved, you know? Exactly, dude. It moves fast, so you got to keep the ball moving, and that's why a lot of what Porzingis was doing in New York is not going to come to Dallas. It's a lot of these, like – post-ups his the largest volume of his offense was consistent consisted of post-ups mm-hmm. so he's not gonna be doing that he no. might post up a little a bit a little bit because you know, it's a weapon switches yeah. right right but he's not going to be doing that he's going to be facing up he's going to be shooting threes off the spot up off you know some screens maybe with big guys whatever uh the reason that i'm talking about all this stuff 
okay, you hear about the, like the math revolution and points per shot and all that stuff. So this is kind of an example if you're one of those people sitting at home and you hate watching teams jack threes. Mm-hmm. This is going to tell you why they do it. So last year, you're right. The Warriors took a ton of mid-range shots. They led the league in mid-range shooting percentage by a mile. They shot 46.9%, which you know is like why? historically good. Because those shots are open. Yeah, they were wide open. Yes. And you have KD and Klay Thompson yes. and Steph Curry. Yes. I mean, those are three of the They're best shot shooters makers. of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I'm glad now that KD is not in Golden State because we don't have to compare every team to Golden State's offense anymore. Golden State's offense has like broken every system ever. Yeah. So now we can finally talk about the more like pedestrian teams, like the teams that are only winning 51 games and not 70. Uh-huh. Teams like Portland, for example. Yeah. Who finished number two in mid-range shooting percentage last year at 43.6%, which is very good. Mm-hmm. Three points worse than Golden State, but still the second best team in the league. Now, if you shoot 43% in the mid-range, 43.6% to be exact, you're averaging 0.872 points per shot. Give it to me again. 0.872 okay. points per shot. Now, skin, math question. What would you need to shoot from three in order to average 0.872 points per shot? Okay, uh, so if I do uh, 10 shots and I've made three, that's about nine or eight. So you'd need to make two and two-thirds threes out of every 10 shots? You would need to shoot 29% on pretty threes. close. So if every single mid-range shot that you took was from three instead, you would only need to shoot 29% to be as good as the second-best team. That's why threes are good. Yes. Because if you shoot 29 from three, you're out of the league. Everybody that's good is shooting like 38 39, like Porzingis, 40%. Mm-hmm. That's why you're moving everything back behind the three-point line. Luca last season ended up shooting, I think, 33.2% or 32.3% or something from three. Still way better than all these guys shooting mid-range shots. Right. Way better. Way more efficient over the course of an 82-game season. And so that's why Porzingis, instead of taking five threes and eight mid-range shots, will probably be taking eight threes and five mid-range yeah. shots. So you're going to see his efficiency go way up, and his, probably his points are going to follow too. Yeah, okay, and those percentages, I want to stay on the Porzingis bit for a bit. Yeah. But when we start talking about DeLon Wright, I want to come back to those percentages okay. you were just talking about because okay. I think it's going to be relevant to that discussion as well. Okay. I encourage everybody, if you're not already following Bob on Twitter, go to at Bobby Carella. You po- you've been posting a few Porzingis highlights, so to speak. And so a couple things I want to hit. Number one, by the time he hits the court for the Mavs, it'll be a, have been like 20 to 21 months since he's played in an NBA game. That's an eternity, an eternity for sports. It's a really long time. So people forget just how good he is. And so I like that you've been putting these clips out to kind of remind everybody. But even still, to your original point, those clips don't even really fully tell the story because our floor will be spaced so differently And the reason, so I'm not going to blow the guy's spot up, but I know this other professional athlete from another sport who's a Laker fan, and we were talking about the Lakers. This is before LeBron James. Uh, No, another sport. Okay. Uh, So before Kawhi signed with Clippers, we were talking about where Kawhi might end up. And one of the things he talked about is how every perimeter player in the league wants to play with Anthony Davis because of what it opens up for you. Now, Porzingis is a different style in terms of how he plays, but he has a similar impact in that perimeter players want to play with him because of what he creates for you because of the attention paid to him. You'll remember, Mav fans, four years ago or whenever it was, every national rider in December 
suddenly had this article about how Monte Ellis had changed. Yep. Monte Ellis did not change. He played with a far superior player in Dirk. It's the Dirk effect. The geometry of your floor changes. The opportunities become more plentiful and uh, more productive. When you are a perimeter player playing with a caliber of offensive big, like an Anthony Davis or Porzingis or Dirk, it changes everything for you. This is not a shot at anybody that was on the Maverick roster last year, but Luka has not yet played with someone that can do the things that Porzingis can do. So the ripple effect will be that the opportunities for Luka to create or score or find open guys is about to go off the frickin' charts. If you want to compare it to something that you, as a Mavs fan, know from watching all 82 games of, think of 2017-18 whenever Dennis was playing with Dirk in the starting uh -huh. lineup. They yes. played a lot of minutes together, and Dennis had so much more space. Yes. Compare 2017-18 tape with the 2018-19 tape, especially at the beginning of the year whenever they obviously still had Dennis and Dirk was out. Right. Dennis was only playing with, like, DeAndre and Harrison Barnes, who does, do not command the same respect as Dirk. Nope. Now, if you substitute Porzingis in for those guys, suddenly Dennis's job gets way easier. And yes. obviously Luca's will be way easier, too. And to yes. your point about Luca not having a Porzingis-like player... Porzingis does not have a Luka-like player either nope. in his in his past uh, resume. I guess the best player he's played with is Carmelo, who's not handling the ball. And if he is, he's definitely not passing. The point guards on the Knicks the year that Porzingis made the All-Star team were Jarrett Jack and Frank Nilakina. I mean... He averaged 23 a game with Jarrett Jack and Frank Nilakina. Jarrett Jack is a great human. He's loved by all the dudes in the league. He has never been a premier point guard. Yes. Not even close. And He's he a was great their starter. backup. He yeah. was their starter. Right. Playing big minutes. And they were, like, hovering around 500 at the time he got hurt. Because Porzingis is that good. Yeah. Two, you know, one superstar makes a big difference for an NBA team. Two... Now you're it cooking. It breaks it. And again, I mean, I'm glad. Thank you for promoting my Twitter. Please follow me. But if you don't follow me, then delete Twitter because Twitter's not worth it. But if you do follow <laughs> me, yeah. <laughs> Look at those said. Porzingis videos because he can do things that seven foot three humans cannot do. There was one clip that you posted, and he basically caught the ball kind of in the high post, about 18 feet, and he turned, and then he dribbled back out and effortlessly drained a three. And one guy's response was, and it was fine. It was valid. One guy's response was, wait, he already had good position. Why did he shoot the more difficult it shot? It's a fair question. And if you look, because when he turns, there is a defender shading to the right, his right. Okay? That defender's man has gone to the other side of the floor, and he doesn't care. Mm -hmm. he, they're flooding that side of the floor. So Porzingis can either just shoot over the top, or he can go hard left, but maybe he's not comfortable doing that. So he backed out to create more space to let that other defender. Now, if that other defender doesn't go find his man, now they've got a problem. And when he created more space, it's like, oh, I'll just drain this wide open three. Thanks, guys. It's just that's the way that everything leverages against one another in a half-court situation. Do you want to know something that's kind of depressing? Uh, well, I don't know. I'm well, trying to be uh, positive here. Well, uh, let me bring the mood down a little bit. Damn it, that Bob. That three that he made, yep. that was a step back three. Yep. That was the only step back three he attempted that season. No way. Every single other shot that he took was either a catch and shoot three or like some type of like stepping into it. He did not take a single step back three all year. Can I tell a super quick story? Yeah. Do you remember the Saturday night game at Utah 
Second night of a back-to-back. It was in March, I think. Dirk scored 19 that game. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, Luca didn't play in that game. Mm -hmm. All right. Porzingis had gotten to the point in the season where he's traveling with the team. So, on the road, you know, your your routines are a little different. That was a Mavs Saturday night. You were at that game. That was a Mavs Saturday night. I was at that game. Yeah. So, the guys come out and they get warmed up and Dirk is signing autographs. Then they all go back to get ready for the game. And Luca and Porzingis are out on the floor going through routines. And I'm standing there watching it because I've already shot the pregame thing. And I'm watching on opposite sides of the floor Luca and Porzingis match each other, step back three for step back mm. three. And it's so effing delicious, Bob. I mean, I'm watching this going. And then people go, oh, it's war-. No, I'm watching a seven-foot-three guy jab, step back, and rain threes from the 45-degree angle. And then Luca does it. And then he does it. And then Luca does it. And I'm watching this going, good luck, everybody. Yeah. Those are two giant people. Those are two giant people. This is my 2019-2020. I'm watching, I'm watching a preview right now. And I get it because you haven't seen it out there. I get the trepidation or the cynicism or the I want to guard my little sports heart. I get it. I'm telling you, I've seen the future. It's coming. It's going to dance on your head. And we're all going to pull together and we're going to love each other again because it is coming. And when you have two guys that are that good, average players become good players. Good players become really good or great players. And if you look at what the Mavericks did in free agency, which we'll pivot to in a second, they identified needs and they addressed those needs because they had to address certain issues. They wanted to fortify those issues. But they already know that these players that they've acquired are about to be better because of the ripple effect of having two studs. Imagine how much better Luka made everybody on the team last year and then basically multiply that by like 1.5 or 2. Yeah. That is what and having Porzingis out there Porzingis is do does. And not only that, there's continuity, continuity with Max and Dwight and Dorian. And now Jalen's got a year under his belt. You know, these... These things start growing together. If you look at like, uh, look at Denver for example. Denver's banking on continuity. They've added some. They they made some nice little moves, yep. but they kept their team together and they're plowing forward. Milwaukee lost an important guy in Brogdon, but they're keeping their team together and plowing forward. There is beauty in continuity. Guys learn each other's games. They get better. They trust each other more. That's a beautiful thing in sports. The Mavericks had some key additions. But then they also banked on continuity. They know what their guys can do. If you're re-signing your own guys, that means you know what they can do. And within your structure, they are valuable. And if you're making a team hierarchy, the question we were asking each other last year is, well, who's the Mavs' second best player? And for most of the season, it was J.J. Barea. Yeah. Now the question is, who's their third best player? And I think the more fun question is, is the Mavs' second best player better than X team's best player. Yeah, and, and, and I like this conversation too, Bobby, because I think there's, you know, we start getting into the meaning of words. Because in a vacuum, their third best player might be somebody different than who is their third most effective player or important player. Because now, once you have two stars, you start getting into roles. Let me give you an example. Tyson Chandler was a role player here. Now, Dennis Rodman made the Hall of Fame as a role player. Some people look at role players, ah, that's a lower tier guy and he doesn't matter. No, it's not. It means he has a defined role that is important to the team outside of whatever his individual talents are, and he embraces that role. That's what a role player is. 
Um, and so if you look at what is on this roster, they got a lot, of, a lot of guys that are embracing roles with fervor, with zest, and ready to be a part of something that's winning. Yeah, absolutely. And when you have two superstars, makes everybody's job easier. For sure. The thesis on Porzingis, he is being plucked from the most conservative system in basketball, the triangle offense, and is being put into one of the most progressive systems. We can't conceive of what he's going to do, but I promise you it's going to be amazing. That is Chris Tapp's Porzingis. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, be excited about Chris Tapp's Porzingis. <laughs> you he know is what, going though? to be amazing. I'm, 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 willing to, I'm willing to cut people some slack because they haven't been able to put their eyeballs on it. But I'm also saying, man, if you can't get excited about this, just take a step back and just what is your overall approach to life? Because you can probably I try to better myself all the time. I fail all the time. Uh, I I have a lot of cynicism in my heart, you know, so I have to work on those sorts of things. But when it's right in front of you and the lights are flashing, take a look at it. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And we don't have to wait too much longer. Nope. preseason starts in under three months. So we're, we're, we're getting close. Okay, so now let's pivot to the other guys. Uh, it's canon now because Mark Cuban did say it on an interview. I think that was televised on national TV. So, like, there's no running from it anymore. Yep. The Mavs wanted Kemba Walker. We can say that. That's not tampering at nah. this point. They were targeting Kemba Walker. Kemba went to Boston. I think something pretty unexpected happened. In a summer full of shocks, Al Horford opting out to me was, like, pretty – it ranked up there. I'll just say this. I firmly believe – that if Horford did not opt out, then Kimba Walker would have been a Mav. I'm I, about 99% pretty with you. in that. I'm pretty with you. Uh, so, okay, something unexpected happens. You got to pivot. And there were a whole lot of players that people on Twitter have been pining for for a very long time. And even I know you were like a big Pat Beverly fan, for example. Mm-hmm. There were people out there that were big Bojan Bogdanovic fans. There were people out there that really Malcolm wanted Brogdon, Malcolm Brogdon. Right? Yeah, there was a whole lot of players. And we can yeah. get into like why the Mavs did or didn't want them. We can spend the rest of our lives debating that. But Cuban, if you take him at his word, said that the Mavs immediately went from Kimba to DeLon Wright. And now I'm not sure that I believe that, but... The Danny Green rumor started immediately after Kemba 2, and the math with Danny Green and DeLon Wright works it, out. So I kind of do believe it, that that was a pretty quick shift. I absolutely believe. So I think that, you know, one of the things that I disagreed with people on Twitter about is if something doesn't work out the way you want it to, that doesn't mean that your team was ill-prepared or didn't have a plan. Mm. I mean, that's just a weird place to go to, I think. That, mm. to me, that is like you're really just being upset right now and you're kind of being irrational. If you really think that the Mavericks just showed up on Sunday morning and go, hey, what do you guys want to do in free agency? <laughs> Anybody got any ideas? <laughs> I mean, I don't think you're really thinking through this. I think you're just venting and being frustrated. That's all fine. So let me give you an example that I think fits the DeLon Wright statement that Cuban made. They identified Al Farouk Aminu and called him immediately in free agency the first year they got him. Right now, was he their number one priority, guys? I don't want anybody doing anything until we get Al Farouk Aminu inked. Yeah, no, but they have. They put in so much work. There are tiers of guys that they want to fill certain roles. They project what those salaries might be and how gettable those players are, and do they fit? So I would say look at Delon Wright for different reasons, but in a similar vain as to what they decided. Hey, look, we think Aminu can fill this role. We think we can develop his shot. We think we can improve his game. He's a former lottery talent. We think he's gettable. Like New Orleans doesn't want him anymore at the time that he was yep. a, a Pelican, or I don't even know what their mascot was at the time. So anyways. They were the, they were the Pelicans. By okay. Now. So my, my whole point being 
is that I don't think that their entire free agency hinged on the acquisition of DeLon Wright, but they had him in the hopper and they thought he was gettable. And if you look at the timing of the rumors from Sunday night, are they going after Dragic? Are they going after Linux? What are they doing here? And then Billy Duffy had these comments that Ramona Shelburne, you know, quoted and on and on. I think what you just laid out is very, very accurate. And I think if you look at the cap space they had and the money they had, they looked at it and go, all right, depending on what we do with certain contracts to get to a certain cap space, it's very conceivable that we could come out of this free agency with a Danny Green, a DeLon Wright, and a Seth Curry, depending on how these dominoes fall. We want Kimball Walker because mm. he's, he's a game changer. He's all NBA. But, okay, we don't have Kimba. And I think they were pretty confident that by the time the weekend arrived, they knew they weren't getting Kimba, so they started making other plans, all right? So when you look at the way things fell, Danny Green was going to wait to see what happened with Kawhi. So then I saw other criticism on Twitter that was like, look at everything that's happened while we're waiting on Danny Green. I'm like, I'm sorry, what happened from Monday to Friday? Because I don't remember anything happening. <laughs> Literally, that, what if it didn't it happen in the happened? first five minutes, it didn't happen right. at all. Right, everything happened Sunday night. I think they could have pulled the trigger on a Miami deal if they wanted, but I think they were more interested in these other pieces. Mm. And nothing happened from Monday to Friday to change all that. I think they felt Literally like... Literally other, other than them acquiring Seth. Yep. And if you look at the money Seth signed for, they still very likely could have pulled off if he wanted to come here, Danny Green and DeLon Wright, yep. nothing was leveraged against the other that happened in the meantime. It's real simple to break out a spreadsheet. You know what happened in free agency now, and you can see how the numbers add up to make the acquisitions that they wanted to make after Kimba didn't work out. Mm. And it, I just think it's, it just takes a little deductive reasoning. But if you want... To be emotional about it, you're not going to see this, and you're instead going to bring up past mistakes the team has made and go, see, it's this all over again. See? It's like, no. This is what they wanted to happen. And look, I love the Dallas Mavericks. I think it's pretty obvious. But if I'm being fair to myself, playing with LeBron and Anthony Davis is a more advantageous situation to winning a championship right now than playing with Porzingis and Luca when Porzingis hasn't played in a, a year and a half. And Danny Green said, those guys are two to three years away. Danny Green is 32 and wanted to compete for a championship right now. And so as, as someone who follows the league, I'm not going to become irrationally upset and say the front office sucks because a 32-year-old guy by the way, got really good money and got yep, more money than I thought he was going to get yep. and probably got twice as much money as Toronto coming off a championship would have given him even if they kept Kawhi. Mm. I think he, they would have offered him 6 or $7 million. He got twice as much to go to L.A. and compete for a championship. So just Hats off to him, man. Right. Take say off, it all the time. It's a business. Right. So just take off your rookie year Jason Kidd jersey for one minute and take the Mav koozie off of your beer and step <laughs> back and be an analytical person that follows the league and go, oh, I get it. Mm. It's not a reflection of the front office. It's not a reflection of, of where Luca and Porzingis are headed. It's just very basic, rational stuff. It ain't that hard to figure this if out. If all goes well in two years then, then 2021, 2022's equivalent of Danny Green will be looking at the Mavs as a situation where 
I can go there and win a championship Absolutely. or at least compete for a deep playoff run kind Absolutely. of thing. Absolutely. You know? We're two years ahead of schedule here, and Danny chose to stay in the moment. And by the way, he made great money doing it. He did, and he's, he's going to play a ton of minutes on that team, and they're probably going to win quite a few games. Did, did I didn't see? Did Ron Adams go to L.A. to conduct? I saw uh, rumors that he I, might. I believe he stayed. Stayed in Golden State. Yeah, I think he okay. stayed. I thought that was um, interesting because Danny Green is so defensive minded, and yeah. if you don't know, Ron Adams is the quote unquote defensive coordinator for the Golden State Warriors. And there was talk that he might go to L.A., but I guess it didn't materialize. Yeah. they ended up getting somebody. Don't remember who. I don't really keep up with the assistant coaching carousel, uh, but we can look that up. It's pretty easy to find. Uh, but I do want to talk about DeLon Wright, the player. And I think uh, because everybody was standing so hard for Patrick Beverly, uh, I think you kind of have to almost, and this is unfair, you kind of almost have to compare all these guys to each other. And so when we're talking about the point guard market, after Kemba and I guess D'Angelo Russell, who was restricted, which kind of changes the dynamic of that situation, there was really like a, a pretty seismic chasm uh, gap between mm-hmm. Kemba and the next person. Absolutely. That tier was like Beverly, Rubio, Terry Rozier, DeLon Wright. Br- do you want to put Brogdon in there? We can, although he's I kind think of he's a combo. Yeah. And also, he was restricted. Yeah. And that was confusing. You know, yep. that whole situation is weird. Yeah. So, those four guys, I want to talk about those four guys specifically DeLon Wright, Pat Bev, Ricky Rubio, Terry Rozier. Uh, basketball reference has a pretty cool tool. It's called the Player Comparison Finder. Okay. You can plug in names, and you can search by season. You can do a range. You can do entire careers, whatever, and it will show you there. Per game, total, per 36, 100 possession, advanced, playoffs, everything. It will show you – you can put in six guys, and it will give you their entire careers, all in one convenient spreadsheet. So I did that with those four guys. And what I found, Skin, shocked me. Oh. DeLon Wright. Where he ranks among – Himself, Beverly, Rubio, Rozier. First in points per 36. First in field goal percentage. First in true shooting. Second in effective field goal percentage. Second in free throw percentage. Second in assist per 36. Second in free throw rate. Second in steal percentage. First in block percentage. Second in turnover percentage. Most win shares. Second in BPM. First in PER. So he was arguably the best of, of those, those four guys. players. Now, I will say. And the youngest. And the well, Rozier and him yeah, are similar well, ages. We can talk, I'll tell you their ages and what they're making in a okay. second. But now, like Rozier, I do have to concede that, like Terry Rozier, Wright has played most of his career against backups, yep. which generally means his minutes are slightly easy, against easier competition. Mm-hmm. And also, he's playing fewer minutes, which means if you have one good game, then it really boosts your per 36 for right. a while. Absolutely. So though you have to take those numbers with a grain of salt, but he's played four years now, and the sample size is pretty big. Yeah. He's also been on good teams for most of his career. So that kind of he's playing with good players who are also getting their piece of the pie. So right. like, it's, you have to contextualize all of that stuff. But he's also behind Kyle Lowry. Yeah. And Kyle Lowry plays a lot of minutes. He does, yeah. And then, dude, Van Vliet came on strong. And, you but know, he, you his, gotta, the best season of his career was spent with Van Vliet, uh, Wright, and then I forget who else Toronto had. I think Ibaka was coming off the bench for them mm-hmm. still. And they had, like, they had the best bench in the league his best season. Mm-hmm. That was when he shot 37% from three. From three, right. In 2017-18. Uh, he's pretty freaking good compared to those guys. Just our, our, our fan base hadn't seen him. Yeah, I mean, that's what the reaction idea, right? is. Our you fan know? base has not seen and him. And, you know, everybody kind of turns what players do in April into a meme whenever they're playing for teams that are rebuilding. Yep. Yep. He had two triple doubles against the Mavs two days in a row. And right. everyone was like, oh, yeah, tanking, ha, 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 ha. Right. But, like, 
how many players are getting triple doubles? You know, <laughs> he's one of them. So you can argue the validity of that triple double all you want, but he did it. Right. His numbers are loaded, especially compared to these guys. Yep. And the best thing about it, like you said, he's the second youngest of the group. Rozier's 25. Pat Bev is 31. Rubio is going to be 29 on opening night. And if we're talking average annual value skin, would you rather have DeLon Wright for $9 million a year or Terry Rozier for $19 million a year? Uh, okay, let me just say... I'm not, and this is eyeball stuff. This is not breaking down numbers. I'm not crazy about Terry Rozier Me, stylistically. I'm, I'm with you. I'm okay. With you. I'm not, you know, this, and, you know, I, I don't watch every Celtic game. Now, obviously, this year his minutes got cut into and, and yep. things like that. But stylistically, he plays a way that sort of frightens me. Mm. I guess that's because he's scary, Terry. <laughs> um, so, very on brand. So I'm my opinion on this is a little jaundiced, right? Um, well, then we don't have to stop at Terry Rozier. Would you rather have Delon Wright at nine or Ricky Rubio for seventeen? I would rather have Delon Wright on this particular team because Rubio is not as effective off the balls I want him to be. But I am a fan of Ricky Rubio. I like his game, I, and he's improved his shooting. Do you want to pay him twice as much? Hell no. Do you want him for his ages 29 to 31 seasons? I don't. Okay, what about Pat Bev? Three years for $40 million. Now, if you were going to try and pry him away from L.A., you might have had to pay him more. I was uh, probably leading the charge on the let's get Pat Beverly thing. And I kind of put some subtle things out there back in February after talking to – and I, it's not a – I didn't hide it. You know, I was just talking to J.J. Barea about what kind of a guy does this team need. And he said, man, I want to get a Deshaun Stevenson type. And I knew that Beverly had the same agent as Luca. And I said, man, you think about Pat Bev? He's like, oh, man. And so I started thinking about that a lot. But what, when you look at it, and, and I looked at his shooting percentage from three, I thought, man, all this fits. I like the idea. Go back to the classic Rick quote, they can't all be milk drinkers. I liked all that, and I liked that grit. But he has an injury history, and he's 31. So when you factor that in, you know, I get why he's not a priority, especially at that money. At that price. Now, if you were saying salaries don't exist and it's all about winning this right. game, yeah, Pat probably taking Pat Beverly. Me too. If yeah, I, I would if take I Pat Beverly win. over a whole lot of point guards yes. in the NBA because I love his game. He's an awesome player. And I love the ripple effect. Ben's, ben uh, from the Ben and Skin Show has this great funny analogy about the uh, aggressive fish theory. Like when you put a mini shark into a fish tank, all the other fish become more aggressive. Mm. He developed that theory after we were watching Ruben Patterson play back when oh, we used to do nice. the Mavs yeah. uh, postgame show. But to me, Pat Beverly fits that mold of the aggressive fish theory. Um, and so I, I like that intangible. So to your point, uh, for doing this for a week of basketball, I'll take Pat Beverly right now over those other guys. If we're talking about the future of the team – and we're talking about salary and all those things, DeLon Wright makes a hell of a lot more sense. Yep. And then to go full or circle. Or at least a hell of a lot of sense. Yes. So yes. if you can't get Beverly, which he claims to have turned down $50 million to stay in L.A., like, I don't think you that's, were getting him. No, that, by the way, that's not That true. could have been a lie, but that's I mean, it, you know, that's I'm just saying that's what he said. I heard rumors from one guy that knows, he knows stuff. He was like, and this was midnight or mid-evening on free agent night was like, man, Pat thinks he's going to get a one-year offer from the Clippers. Oh, wow. And so there was a lot of – if you go if you go back and look at the people's timelines, man, there's a lot of smoke blowing going on. Yeah. And he eventually got that offer that was floated 
three weeks before free agency of three and forty-one. Yeah, that's what he got. Yeah, and that was out there weeks before. And now free they get agency. to play with Pat Bev, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard. Is that the best <laughs> defensive team in the league? That's going to be on the perimeter. Obnoxious, dude. Yeah, poor Luca. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, coming full circle though, back to Delon Wright and back to what we started talking about with Porzingis. You know, the caliber of shots that Delon Wright is going to get here is going to be far greater than what he got in that great run in Memphis after the Valanchunas Gasol trade. He was a part of that. Mm-hmm. I think the ca- if you saw him play those games against Mavs, everything was going through him, right? Yep. He's going to be playing more off the ball because of the skills of Luka and Porzingis. And that 37% three-point percentage that you throw out, I think it's going to be a lot closer to that than the 33% of what he had in Memphis. I would hope so, man. Because of the caliber of the shots that he's going to get. Yeah, and even if, okay, maybe it's not 37, but 35 is fine. Oh, yeah. I mean, and as long as you're good enough to command some type of defensive attention. Yeah. Right? Everyone always goes back to the 14-15 Mavs. That offense was incredible. They were on pace to break every record of all time, and then they added Rondo, and all of a sudden when Rondo didn't have the ball, no one guarded him. Right. And that ruined the entire system. Dude, you know why? One of the things, so the Mavericks, or people were frustrated that Jameer Nelson started shooting the off-the-season shooting so cold. Mm. And they're like, man, this is going to be a problem. But even then, he, they, people they still, still cared amazing. about him. Yeah. yeah. So they had to guard him because Jameer Nelson's hit shots in this league. Yep. You're not going to leave a veteran guy wide open. Mm. And so what's the ripple effect? Their offense is humming. Yeah. It's humming. And they're going to be playing in a whole lot of space, too. And this is one thing. It's kind of tough to, like, measure with numbers. NBA does track drives, but they're not really, like – drives like a drive statistically is you take one dribble toward the basket that counts as a drive so they're not really measuring like from the three-point line to the rim that's probably like some proprietary stuff that maybe Harala Bob knows about and that we don't but DeLon Wright drives a lot I think that his role here is going to kind of be like Milwaukee Eric Bledsoe oh that's interesting just good enough at shooting the three be a be a very active, like, menacing guy on defense, a force, and just slash. I slash saw, and kick out. I kind of saw him – yeah, slashing is a better word, and probably better comparison than what I was kind of envisioning. I was almost envisioning a variation of Sean Livingston. He's a better shooter than Livingston. I think Livingston's got a better gift for playmaking, but there's something in between where he can operate in those spaces and keep the ball moving. Yeah. And then Livingston's a great def- – or my by my eyeballs, I think he's a great defender. Or at least in his – in his prime. Yeah. But even in his, in his older age, he anticipated angles and used his length. Mm. Um, I, think, I think that, uh, you know, DeLon Wright's going to really flourish defensively. He's going to flourish pushing the ball in transition after getting rebounds. He's a really good rebounder. And I think he's going to knock down his fair share of open shots. I think people are going to be very satisfied with what he is yeah. for this team. He's a really nice player, man. He's a really nice player. And a lot First of round the- pedigree, this isn't. Yeah, well, and I, the Mavericks were going to draft him if he was there. Yeah. And he got taken one pick before him, and they took Justin. And it was between DeLon Wright and Justin Anderson. Yeah. That's what – that's, I guess, the public word, but that's also what I've heard from people that were in that room yeah. at the time. So I mean, they got a guy that they've always liked. Yeah. And so if you want to be – And every smart guy likes him too. Right. On Twitter. And then it, and it's like, hey, if you want to be – ah, oh, they didn't want him. Yeah, they've wanted him for years. Yeah. It doesn't mean their entire free agency was going to be based on DeLon Wright. It means they valued him and went after him, and they got him. Yeah. That's what it means. And they got him for two second-round picks, yep. basically, and what they're paying him. And every, everything's not a binary. Mm. 
It's, it's not, it's either 100% this way or 100% that way. There's areas in between. It's okay to live in those spaces, everybody. That's yeah. the real world. I mean, clearly they wanted to sign Kimball Walker to play point guard. Yes. That, is the, that was their number one goal. And he could have played off the ball here too. Yeah. They ended up signing a guy who's also pretty good. <laughs> He's a yeah. pretty good player. There's right. nothing wrong with saying that. Uh, very good defender, good driver, just a solid overall player. Uh, with room to grow, I think, too, at 27 years old, which is yep. exciting. Uh, okay, next, Seth Curry. We already know a lot about Seth's game because we saw him play here, and he was awesome here, especially as a starter. He, he had that, like, 40 to 50 game run where he finally got elevated to the starting lineup where he was just lights out for, like, right. three months. It right. was incredible to watch. I saw some numbers. Uh, I don't know if you reposted them or maybe you, you texted them to me, but those was it 42 games that he started? Uh, or? Something like 42. I, th- I believe 42 games from the time he was named starter in January 12th mm-hmm. in that game in Mexico. Mexico, yep. Basically to the time that he hurt his shoulder. I think it was a shoulder injury that sidelined him the rest of the year, but mm-hmm. like he tweaked it one game, missed a game, came back, played two games, and wasn't very good, and then right. they shut him down. So from the time he was named a starter to the time where he hurt his shoulder, he was averaging, I don't know the exact numbers, but something like 14, 15 points per game, uh, 50% from the field, 44 from three, 88 from the, th- the free throw line. I mean, just... That's unbelievable, playing yeah. starter minutes. And they were good... During that time too, like that's the that's the thing that that 2016-17 team finished 33 and 49, but they started four and 17. So <laughs> they yeah. finally made some changes. They turned it around a little bit. They and were they were they were 20 and 13 from in a 33 game stretch once Seth was starter. And I just looked at my text messages, and you did send it to me. 14.4 points on 51.7 percent shooting from the field. 49.7 on 4.7 oh trays. God. That's good for a 63% effective field goal percentage. You said for reference, Gary Harris led old guards in effective field goal percentage this season at 58.7%. So he was by leaps Steph and bounds. Steph Curry finished at 58%. Yeah, so Seth was – he was a calculator. And, and that was – from December 10th to March 10th, 42 games, 1,200 minutes. Yeah. So not, not a bad. small sample size. Now, um, why, how would you describe his role on the team? Did, wh- how did you see him? What was he? Was he a point guard, a combo guard, an off on guard? On that team? Yes. During uh, that stretch. At his best, he was playing with Yogi. And I think Yogi is like, if you had to pin Yogi at a position, Yogi would be a shooting guard. Yep. Like an off guard. Yep. So Seth was handling the ball a whole lot. Now right. they did a couple times play him at point, pure point with like wings around him. And it wasn't as good. Right. I think he's best when playing off someone. Secondary playmaker. Fortunately, they got Luca yes. and they got JJ. And I yes. think, if, or, or if JJ's still doing his Achilles thing, I mean, they still got Brunson too. Oh, so my God. Brunson Seth, is so forgotten. Yeah. 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 Brunson, really good, yeah. by the way. Really, really good player. Um, I think Seth here on his comeback tour, I don't think that he'll be starting. Now he could be, but I don't think so. I, I think that either. they're committed to the, the big ball. Yep. With DeLon and Luca. Let's and rebound wing. with our wings. Yeah. Yeah. Too. Let's, let's get size <laughs> and defense. Just our wings. Yeah. Let's get size and defense. And now, Seth. Man-to-man, not the best defender in the world, but within the, the construct of a team, mm-hmm. he played really well with the Mavs and was pretty good in Portland, too. Mm-hmm. Just stealing, uh, running guys off the three-point line. Like, he's just an active guy. Active yeah. hands makes plays. Um, so I think he'll come off the bench here. I don't know what he'll be doing. I would imagine because you have Berea and Brunson, he'll be playing off ball. He'll be shooting, Bob. Yeah, he'll be spotting up in the corner <laughs> where he's a lifetime 50% three-point shooter. Yeah. Like, he is the he has the highest three-point percentage among all active players in the NBA. Outstanding. He is the best. Now, Steph is obviously the best, 
but by percentage, Seth is the best three-point shooter in the league. God, I'd love to be in an empty gym watching them shoot it out. Oh, it would be in, it would be incredible. Yeah. Seth has shot 45% from three in two of his last three seasons. Like, the guy is a machine. He's unbelievable. Last season in Portland, he shot 49.7% on catch-and-shoot threes. Crazy. 50% whenever he caught it and then shot it. Crazy. He's playing with Luka now. So, yeah. the guy is awesome. Uh, he is awesome. And if we're talking about needs, right, the Mavericks needed shooting more than anything else. You talk about rebounding all you want, defense. They needed three-point shooting. They were 28th in shooting above the break last season. I think they were 26th overall. Mm -hmm. After the trades, they were like 29th. They shot in the 30s, like low 30s, 31, 32, way too many times last yeah, season. right. So you had Seth, you had Porzingis. Those are two guys that could shoot 40%. All of a sudden – you're going from like 33% to like 35%, and it's which significant. gets you an extra couple points per game, yep. and all of a sudden you're winning games. Yep. It's uh, Again, they have addressed needs very methodically, yep. and you can uh, wait for the results. Uh, you can project out the results. You can be disappointed. All of that is a choice that you just want to take to this thing. I'm very, very convinced that when this team hits the floor – Mavericks or Maverick fans will be like, oh, my God, this is great. Yeah. This is so much fun to watch. And they have, too. I mean, last year, depth was, I think, a strength of theirs. But their actual starting lineup was – it struggled mm -hmm. at times. Oh, yeah. You know, so – Especially and, after the All-Star break. Absolutely, yeah. Oh so, God. you add a superstar in Porzingis, and then you add DeLon Wright, who can defend point guards, who – it didn't matter – who started at point for the Mavs last year? They struggled defensively. Like mm -hmm. Jalen Brunson, really, really good offensive player. His smaller defensive dude. numbers were not that good. He's yeah, a he's smaller a, guy. Yeah, smaller guy. He got beat by screens. He got, you know, it's with how much pick and roll there's being played in the NBA right now, you have to be able to sidestep or embrace a screen from a big man. You yeah. just have to be able to do that. And Brunson last year chasing Steph around, like he just got lost in the weeds, I think, a lot. And that's that happens with rookies, yep. right? Just generally. Luca Luca did that too. You address your point guard defense with Wright. You address your shooting with Seth. You get a big guy in Bobon, which isn't official yet, but Cuban is holding a shirt up, so I feel like we can mention <laughs> him. And then you add a superstar in Porzingis, all of a sudden your starting lineup is way better. Yeah. Like, it's just way better. And so I think you add depth, but you also add quality starters. So the, a rising tide lifts all boats. Yep. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I'm, I'm super, super bullish on this team. Yeah. Now, um, depending on what happens throughout the course of the year, if no major trades or anything happens, what kind of – cap space do you anticipate being available to the Mavericks next year potentially it depends on a lot of things right right uh, right and so we're not gonna talk about hey you know, trade this guy or cut this guy I'm just saying if you go through the process of things teams typically do yeah what kind of a position could the Mavericks be in? uh so right now they still have that 11.8 million dollar trade exception which they could use or not up until the old uh, up until the, the Porzingis deal right yeah no, oh, no that's the from Barnes, Barnes. So yeah. February 7th right up until the trade deadline yeah so basically the trade deadline now if they don't use it it's gone yeah if they use it it will presumably be for a player that who they, they are either going to have under control next season yeah. or are planning to resign right. so but let's assume that they don't use it yep uh, so if the trade exception disappears and they don't sign anybody to a long-term deal in between now and the season, they're looking at about $11 million in cap space next season. Mm -hmm. How is that possible? They're way over the cap right now. Well, Courtney Lee's contract is expiring, 
And uh, they got pretty creative with, like, Dawn, right? His contract is descending. Dorian Finney-Smith's contract is flat. Tim Hardaway has a player option for a million dollars less than what he's making right now. Mm -hmm. And the cap is projected right now to go up by about $9 million. Yep. So when you add nine and then you subtract all of the things that they're that they're going to net, the, the net is very it's positive. So yep. they're looking at about $11 million in space. But this is where, like, CBA language gets all very confusing. Uh, they're going to have a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. And once you sign the first-round pick, he counts against your cap. Yep. And if you don't sign your first-round pick, you have a cap hold for basically the value of what you're going to sign him at anyway. Right. And so depending on where their pick is or even if they use it, uh, let's say they win the lottery. Well, Zion is making $10 million this yeah, year. that cuts into If they it. have the 28th pick, well, that's only about like 2 or $3 million. So it, that will have a heavy influence, a heavy sure. impact on their uh, cap space. And now – you hear about the step-in rule where you can't trade future first-round picks. They owe their 21 pick to the Knicks, so they cannot trade their 2020 first-round pick today, but they could once they draft that player. Yeah, you can trade draft rights. Yeah. So they may or may not have a draft player to sign, a draft pick to sign, um, depending on what happens, like Ryan Brokoff, for example. Do they want to bring Ryan Brokoff back? If not, he has a cap hold for about $2 million. If you want to keep him, that cuts in your cap space. I have him down for 15 a game this year. Am I being overly optimistic? Uh, 18, 19. Okay, good. Yeah. Good run, St. Peter. Yeah, keep, keep moving it up. Yep. Uh, and then there's other things, too, like Justin Jackson has a team option. Maybe mm -hmm. they pick it up. Maybe they don't. Mm -hmm. uh, Potential so, starter, Justin Jackson. Yeah, who I think, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I could see him as the starter. Yeah. Uh, I think that he, it's his position to lose right now. He I think him and Dorian well are going to be locked because I think they currently see Luca and DeLon as their backcourt, yep. which opens up a spot for the three. And I think, you know, there's a lot of guys in the mix, right? But I think Justin and Dorian both potentially fit what they would want out of that position. Yeah, and then you can bring Tim in for offense in the backcourt along yep. with Seth and along with uh, Brunson and Brea. They got a lot of – Yes. Now, the meme about the Mavs is that they, if you're not under six foot, then, like, you're going to get 30 minutes a game here. Right. They're much taller now. Yes. Like, Tim Hardaway is – Brea is still their shortest player, but Tim Hardaway and Jalen Brunson, I think, are next at, like, 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, Seth. Seth is what six? Seth is pretty tall. I think Seth is shorter than Tim Hardaway Jr. Is he? Is he like six two, six three? Probably. That, and that's based that on age? walking by them. Okay. Like I don't know what they're listed at on Basketball Reference. Yeah. But I think Seth is shorter than Hardaway Jr. Okay. Well. But we know right, we're so yeah. we're splitting hairs. Yeah. Here. I mean, you're moving from like a three guard lineup of JJ Barea, Yogi Ferrell, and Devin Harris yeah. to now like you're probably gonna have. Three six foot eight guys on the floor for yes forty minutes a night, and that's why that's how they're attacking their rebounding. Let's get bigger on the perimeter, and everybody rebounds. Yeah, size, length, and wingspan, yes. and athleticism, all yes. those things. Um, so uh, anyway, that's kind of a really long winded way of saying that a lot of stuff could impact their cap space. But right now, assuming they do ordinary basketball business, they're going to have about eleven million dollars in cap space next summer, and they're looking at potentially max cap space the next year and the next year is going to be the bonanza right in yep. 2021 the summer of 2020 which means the off season after this one the free agency market at least an unrestricted free agency and like player option team option like the the stuff that may or may not happen is looking relatively barren compared yeah. to this summer where right. you had like 35 all-stars changing teams but where next summer is going to get really 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 interesting skin is restricted free agency now, $11 million, which is what the Mavs are going to have, potentially, is not really enough to pry like a premier restricted free agent away from their team. But there are ways, obviously, to clear up a whole lot more money. 
uh, in order to make runs at some of these guys. And if we're talking about timeline, right, like young guys that fit the Luca Porzingis timeline, well, restricted free agency is probably where you're going to look first before yeah. anything else because guys don't hit unrestricted free agency generally until their late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. So restricted free agents, and I'm, I personally cannot say anything about any of this because it's tampering, whatever. Yes, right. But these are some of the names that are going to be restricted free agents next summer, of course, assuming they don't sign extensions before then. Pascal Siakam, Jalen Brown, Brandon Ingram, Buddy Heald, Deontay Murray, Karis LeVert, DeMontis Sabonis, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Malik Beasley, Dario Saric. There's more, too. It's going to be a lot of action. Really, really, really solid players. And and you know what you can do, too? What's that? You can do what you did with DeLon Wright. Restricted free agent. Sign and trade. Sign and trades, things like that. Yeah. Or you can do the Porzingis thing. Right. Why not trade for him before they hit right, free agency? Right, And that's obviously going to be much tougher because some of these players are really freaking good. And they're vital to their current teams. Right. But unlike this summer, where seemingly every team had $30 million in cap space, next summer, most of the money has already dried up. Right. It's been committed to superstars that change teams. Yep. So many teams are over the cap and could potentially be looking to shed money. There aren't a lot of teams that are going to be operating from a position of strength. Teams like Toronto and Atlanta will be. Mm -hmm. Potentially the Pistons. There's a couple others. But, like, the teams ordinarily over the last few years that have had a lot of cap space, teams like Sacramento, they're tied up. Right. Phoenix, tied up. Right. A lot of the teams that ordinarily would – you know, potentially uh, send out a pretty fat offer sheet are not in that position yep. this summer. So I don't know what the market is going to look like, but if you're trying to get restricted free agency, maybe that is the better route to go that's, next summer. That's going to be the big storyline to follow this season for me. And you identified it. It's the Porzingis maneuver. Yeah. it's exactly what they did. Now their ammo is much more limited than right, it was Right, but you know what Porzingis, you can do? Like let's say they do get a good first-round pick. And a team is like looking at their restricted free agent. And they're going, I don't know what my money situation is. You can trade the rights to that guy in a future pick and maybe a smaller contract for a restricted free agent assigning trade that you Yeah, really there's want. a lot of ways to do it. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to do it. And I mean, again, it's still early. So all of these players could sign extensions. Yep. Between absolutely. now and the time you listen to this podcast, even. I don't know. Okay. So I got to go see my shrink. Okay. But let's wrap this thing up. Uh, we encourage Mav fans. Are you going to be there Friday? Um, I may or may not be. It just I depends if my wife lets me go out and drink on a Friday night. Oh, okay. Yeah, because okay. she's currently not drinking. So it's like, hey, how about a little support here, Papa Bear? <laughs> uh, but we encourage all Mav fans to go hit up the Mav bar. What is that? Carrollton Colony area? Uh, yeah, 121 in Hebron, basically. And, and hey, if you've ever yelled at me on Twitter, that's fine. Uh, if you see me out and about at a Mav game or whatever, let's chop it up. Yeah. All this passion is from a, p- a place of love. We're all Mav fans. Skin doesn't hate anybody. No. He's really well, not that scary. I'm not as scary at all. Yeah. Well, you're you're kind of scary. I mean, my dark so side... famous. My know. dark side scares myself. But apart oh. from that, I'm not intimidated. Yeah, that's uh, just your shadow skin. That's, yeah. That's nothing. Nah, nah. Uh, all right. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you out at the, uh, the Maverick Bar on Friday. Uh, again, subscribe to all the Mavs podcasts on Himalaya. Subscribe to Radios and Tunnels. Thank you, Doc. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, yeah. especially on Himalaya. Yeah. Uh, and that is it. I guess now the, the next big thing on the horizon is uh, potentially some more moves, but then also schedule release that is happening in about a month. And then oh. about a month away from training camp. One more thing. You yeah. can watch Bobby Corella on television this Friday Ooh. on Fox Sports Southwest. We have a 
Summer July Mavs Insider. And, yes, that and you're is on loaded it. with stuff. I'm on that, and Skin, you're on it too. That's I'm on. Heard. So Rumor, let's Rumor go. Has it, you're on it. So watch uh, that. We'll see you on TV. We'll see you in person. We'll uh, listen to you on podcasts. It is numbers on the boards. Thank y'all for listening. We out. See ya.